0: God exists for one reason, God's glory, God's glory. to display it and to declare it. When people hear us, and through our words that we speak, through our actions what we, that we do, they look at us and they see the image of God. That's what you were created as. You were created to image God. And the way that He gave you to do that is to be free We've seen a couple of foundational truths. That God is in the midst of causing us to be more fruitful. He is the one who is is pruning us. He is the one who is changing us and transforming us. And what he starts out to do, he always finishes. Jesus is the way that he is doing. Our relationship with him, our union with him is the means by which he is shaping us. He's the one that we are to become more like. Because Jesus is fruitful. And so we are becoming more and more and more like the one that we have been pledged and marriage to. And the Holy Spirit is using community to do that. He's using us, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the lives of one another to call each other to those gospel promises, to point out when sin is present in our lives, to be a part of taking those sinful reactions and turning them into fruit-bearing reactions. We looked at Jeremiah 17, and we saw the imagery there used of, of two trees. Of a thorn bush in the desert that is, that is just full of thorns and prickers and, and doesn't really yield anything good. And then the fruit-bearing tree that has its, has its roots deep into a stream. And we saw heat, suffering, which is what God uses. He uses suffering in life to cause us to change, to cause us to grow. Suffering, the heat that He brings, causes us to see the condition of our sinful hearts, causes us to see what needs to be changed. And God, God knows how our hearts operate. We saw the words of the psalmist, where, where God, can, God knows our struggles. He knows our trials. And He has promised that He will, he will change us. That's what God's Word is all about. Is that's becoming more and more fruitful. We saw also that the connection between heart and behavior. Because it's one thing to spot the sinful reactions. We all can spot our sinfulness pretty easily. But it's another thing to connect your sinful actions and reactions with, with your heart. And there is a connection there. And so you can't just say, stop lying, stop being bitter, stop being angry, stop being mean, stop being greedy, stop being lustful. You you can't just say, stop those actions. You've got to say, what's going on in my heart? What what beliefs are there in my heart that are are leading to those sinful reactions? So we've looked at the heat, we looked at the thorns. We saw that our desires are the things that cause that, right? James 4.1 What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The thing that causes sinfulness is our sinful desire, our sinful heart. And so if those thorns are ever going to become fruit, what has to change is our hearts. What has to change are the things that we believe in. That's that's, that's the point of so much of God's word. And you see it all over the place. I mean, the Ten Commandments, for instance. Right? Ten Commandments given in the book of Exodus. When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery. Crossed the Red Sea. That was one of the first things. There was this meeting between God and his people. And he gave them these Ten Commandments. And the very first one, You shall have no other gods before me. And when you read Commandments 2-10... through Really, those are only broken if you first break number one. You only break commandments two through ten if something else has become a god that is greater than the one true God. If money has become a god to you, then you might lie or you might steal. If sex has become a god to you, then you might commit adultery. If the approval of people has become a god to you, then you would then you might lie. And so commandments two through ten are only broken after you've first broken, number one, after something else has become more important to you, more worthwhile to you than the one true God. And it's our desires that lead to these simple reactions. For instance, let's say David asks you to give your testimony tomorrow morning during the Sunday morning service. Alright, you go to bed, you set your alarm, you want to wake up, you want to be ready, and your alarm goes off tomorrow morning, and you realize you're Right, you come, you come downstairs. You can hear everybody singing, and you're really late. <laughs> you Miss breakfast, right? And so you know you're going to get made fun of just for that alone. but David was late to dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You've missed breakfast. And we've already started the service. And you come down and you hear somebody else giving their testimony. Now, how? That's a moment of heat, right? How will you react to that? If approval of people is your God, if approval of people is the thing that you will worship, how might you react to that? I'll be mad at the person giving the testimony.
1: Yeah, you could be mad at the person, right? Can push them off the person. <laughs> and shove them <just> <laughs> aside.
0: You might not go that far, but maybe. <laughs> how else might you react if, if approval of people is your god? You try to justify what happened. Try to justify. Make yeah. excuses. Make excuses. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because you don't want to. You, you want to save face in front of people, right? Mm-hmm. You might just be. You might be anxious. What are they to think of me now? Oh, I'm so mm-hmm. horrible. I can't believe I did this. I'm the worst person in the world. And you might just be filled with anxiousness and worry over that. What if, um, what if power was your God? How might you react? With punishment. Punishment, right? For who? For the one that comes late. For so the one that comes late, maybe, right? But but if it's you that's coming late, right? And 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 this was your chance. To impress everybody to show your spiritual maturity to everybody for everyone to think you're an amazingly spiritual person and that you've lost that chance and here is this other person up here now you probably um, want, you probably would do something to stop the person from talking you might right you, I mean whoever's talking you know let's say it's Casey after giving her testimony afterwards you might be like well yeah but do you know what else Casey did <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> 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 right you blame people if you, you you would blame the people, why didn't you wake me up, right? Yeah, you, you you blame somebody for not waking you up. Yeah, so there's there's a variety of ways that you might react yeah. if if comfort is your god. Go back to bed. If comfort, you, you might right. You just want to get away from the situation, and so whether get whether you actually get away by just going back to your room and not even showing your face down here, and then you come down later. Oh, we started. I didn't. Even Right, you might just escape, or maybe you seek to escape by going and getting the biggest bucket of ice cream you could possibly find, and you sit there and you eat a couple of liters of ice cream and uh, drown your sorrows away. Maybe that's another form of escape. There's many forms of escape, and so if comfort is our God. We're going to seek to escape somehow, but that is our that's our sinful desires, and we might we'd have a bad attitude, and we'd come up with lots of excuses. We blame the situation, we blame other people, we would blame anything except take responsibility. If something else is our God. And there's there's so many of these moments of heat every single day. Now, what would have to be different in order for that same situation to happen? And instead of thorns being produced, fruit is produced. I mean, some of you might, I mean, you could probably even think through different situations that you have reacted sinfully to. And maybe you even think, that, I don't know how I would ever have a chance of reacting differently. How can I ever bear fruit in that situation? And that's a little bit of what we're going to look at tonight. And the beauty of what we're going to see is that it is the cross, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is our hope that any fruit can ever be produced in our lives. Because if it isn't for the gospel, if it isn't for Jesus Christ and our union with him, our relationship with him, we have no hope. But because of him, we have, we have hope. We have potential. right? And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because the cross, Jesus hanging on the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, was the single most tragic event in all of human history. That was the single greatest moment. Because you had an un- You had a man who was unjustly punished. A man who had lived perfectly. Who had never done any wrong. And who suffered in the most horrible of ways. But what did God produce from that suffering? Salvation, right? From, From the greatest act of suffering in all of human history. The most tragic suffering in all of human history. God produced the greatest good. And so, if God can do that, if God can take the greatest tragedy in all of human history, and he could produce something as beautiful as salvation for everybody, then what can he do with our suffering? The exact same thing. He can produce beautiful things from it. If he can do that with the worst, then certainly he can take our suffering. And so, the cross of, of Christ shows us that there is hope, that Jesus can produce fruit out of anything. He can produce fruit from Jesus hanging on the cross. He can produce fruit from every bit of suffering that you will ever go through, no matter how bad it is. And there's going to be some suffering that you have gone through probably that has been very painful. And other suffering that you will go through that will very possibly be even more painful. And so it's the gospel that gives us hope. And the gospel, it's not just advice. The gospel doesn't just tell you what to do. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. The Gospel is is about the fact that Christ lives in you. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, okay. Philippians, Colossians. We've been there a couple times, so hopefully you're getting familiar with it if you're not already familiar with it. Because when it comes to suffering, all of the moments of suffering that we have, whether small or whether big, they need to pass through the truths, the promises that are ours through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look at suffering through that lens, that's when the roots of the fruit-bearing tree are watered, and that's when fruit is produced, instead of thorns being produced. And Ephesians is as a book, a wonderful example of that happening. But in the first three chapters, you see really the, the position of us as Christians, our, our inner life. Who are we because of Christ? And the last three chapters show you more of the outer life. They, they show you what those gospel truths produce. But in particular, in chapter one of Ephesians, starting in verse three, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? What's what's Paul saying there? That's that's a huge statement. What's Paul saying there in verse three of chapter one? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So it's it's past tense, right? I know we're different languages, English, but past tense, present tense, future tense, right? (laughs) This is past tense. He has already done it. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in, he has already given you every spiritual blessing, right? Not just some, not just most, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so he has given you Jesus. God, Jesus was God's greatest gift to you. In fact, Jesus was the greatest obstacle to our salvation. It's the question that, that Romans 8 Really poses is: Would God's love for Jesus prevent Him from offering up Jesus as our sacrifice? And yet, God did not withhold His only Son from us. So, if He is willing to give His greatest gift, which was Jesus to us, then we can we can logically conclude that He'll give us every other gift imaginable. Because Jesus was the best that he had. If I'm willing to give you a hundred euros, right? Would I also be willing to give you 50? Well, sure. If I'm willing to give you 100, then you could assume that I'd be willing to give you 50. Right? That makes sense. If God is willing to give us his best gift in Jesus, then why would we doubt that he is not also willing to give us every other gift? Because Jesus was his most costly gift. And he is. He has. He has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ. But Paul gets more specific. He says... Even as He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. So one of the spiritual blessings that we have is being adopted. Why is that a spiritual blessing? What's special about being adopted? Get to be part of a family. To be part of a family. Right? You're chosen. You're chosen. So when you're adopted, you are brought into a family. I have two sisters they are now, how old are they? I always forget. One of them is 30, the other one is 32. And we adopted them when we lived in Korea. And so they are they're Korean. Um, and it wasn't too long, it was a couple of years ago when we were, when we were driving home and from, from Christmas visiting my family and our kids were in the back and we were, I forget what we were talking about, how the conversation came up. But Ethan, our second oldest, Started talking about when he grows up in his family, and he goes, "I wonder what kind of nationality of kids I'm going to have when I grow up." <laughs> he had the he had the mistaken impression that he could choose what kind of nationality his kids were going to be. <laughs> right? Why did he think that? can adopt anybody. What's that? He can adopt anybody.
1: Well, head, <laughs> but, but he wasn't talking
0: about that. Like, he was talking about like, kids he was going to biologically have. <laughs> and he, said, he, was, well, he was like 10 years old when he said that, right? I know, I know. But the reason why he said that was this. My two sisters, who are Korean and who look obviously different than my brother and I do, right? They are, we adopt them into our family, and we treat them no different than we would treat any sister that, that looked the same race as us. Right? And, and so, to my to my sons, they they didn't think anything different than they, these are these are my dad's sisters. I'm mean to them. I tease them. I pester <laughs> them. I torture them, just like I tortured my brother and pestered my brother. I mean, they could all tell you stories about everything I did to them growing up. You know, and I was equally as mean to them as I was my brother. You know, and so to, to the point that that my son he didn't. He never stopped to think that they were never. there was never a time when they were not part of our family. He just assumed that my parents decided they were going to have two Asian... <laughs> two Asian sons. <laughs> but it, it, it was the way that we interacted with them that led him to conclude that. He didn't see any difference in the way that I treated my brother and the way that I treated my sisters or the way that all, any of us interacted. Right? And that's what it is. When, when you are adopted into the family of God... It does not matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It does not matter your skills, your talents, your abilities. You are a son. You are a daughter of the king of the universe. That is a blessing. Now, again, when it comes to the element of heat, let's take our example of of coming down, and you've been asking your testimony, you come down on this lake. And if, if people's approval of you was your God, there might be the temptation to say a lot of things that, are, that would be lies, that would be unkind, that would be ungracious. But if your adoption as a son or daughter of God so gave you joy, so gave you satisfaction, that was the thing that mattered most to you rather than the approval of any other person, then you can come down and you can be honest about your sin. You can be honest about, hey, I made a mistake, I screwed up, I'm sorry. And that's the beauty of what Jesus and the cross allows us to do. It allows us to be honest about our sin. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to pretend like we're not sinners and and try to hide it and try to minimize it and try to sweep it away. We can be honest, not brag about it. I'm not saying that. But we don't have to pretend like it's not there because God knows it's there. And yet if we are so filled with joy and so satisfied in our hearts, because I'm a a son of God. He is my father. And he allows me access, like I can go and talk to him anytime I want. If he's not your father, you can't. There's security there, there's privilege. Right? If, if you were, if your dad was the president of the United States, right, would you have access to the White House and the Oval Office? Sure you would. It's your dad, right? But if he's not your dad, you try to walk into the Oval Office. This is what happens to you. <laughs> yes. Might <be> Jess. <laughs> The Secret Service. The Secret Service. Otherwise known as Chris. will take you down, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I can tell you. <laughs> I know. That's true. Secret Service. But if he's your father, you have access. You can walk in there whenever you want. Maybe. not oh, okay. But most of the time, your father, and you are his child. And so when you are adopted, that is that is a promise. That is a truth that when suffering happens to us, we are meant to remember this blessing. We are meant to remind ourselves, right? Second Peter said, the reason why you are unfruitful is both because you forget the truths of the gospel. This is the truth of the gospel. One that we are called to remember. One that you are called to remind each other of. Part of the reason why we sing songs is to remind ourselves the truths of the gospel, and so when you sing, you're not only singing to God and thanking Him and praising Him; you're actually singing to one another. You are declaring. That's why it's important that we are careful of the songs that we sing, that we are sure to sing songs that are filled with gospel truth, because we are meant to, to tell those to one another. Because somebody might be so standing next to you, and you don't maybe you don't know what's happened, and they're weak. Maybe they need to hear, they need to be reminded of those gospel truths because there's a lack of fruit in their life because of this suffering that's happening in their sin. And you singing a song is actually telling someone a gospel truth who's standing next to you. And they might be reminded of that gospel truth and all of a sudden this, this suffering becomes something that bears fruit instead of something that bears the thorns of sin because you're singing a song filled with gospel truths. You were called to do that with one another, to remind one another of gospel truths like adoption. But there's even more. Look at verse, starting, I'll pick up again in verse 6. To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, in Him, in Christ. And I, and I want you to notice all throughout this passage the repetition of in Him, in Christ, in Jesus. Right? In Him, we have redemption through His blood. What does it mean to be redemption? If you have a, a ticket or a coupon and you hand it to somebody to redeem it, what's going to happen? Let's say you've got a, a coupon for a free ice cream. You're going to get something in return. You You're going to get something in return, aren't you? Right. Yeah. So what does it mean to be redeemed? It says, you have been redeemed through His blood. What does Paul mean? You've been redeemed been renewed okay That could be in a sense in which he talks about redeemed sure what else saved maybe saved what do you mean i'm like choose about you're saved i don't know how to explain it. maybe i just think about your safeness kind of sense or saved from what um no, sin maybe sin, sin? Okay. okay i'm gonna get forgiveness from who from the, okay. person and I, my from, <laughs> from the person I did something bad to. Okay, so but, but in, in this sense, who, who have we been redeemed? And in what sense have we been redeemed according to what Paul is saying? That's, that's one sense you could be forgiven by the person. Right? But who have we, what does it mean to be redeemed? We've been redeemed through Christ. i sorry, Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, right. So He's the way we are, but what does it mean for us to be redeemed? Back. bought back from him. it's That's one thought, but it's actually not a correct thought, but, it, but it, it's a popular answer. So, thank you for mentioning that, yes. I appreciate it. It's like I was baiting you into it, right? It might also mean that God has taken Jesus Christ on on, on the amphibious thing. So, like, when we commit anything, instead of God looking at us, Jesus Christ is like the middleman, and is, is it like God just forget what we did, or it's like Jesus has been punished on our behalf. Right, Jesus has been punished. So, Jesus absorbed God's wrath for you. So, there was a debt that you owe, not to Satan, but there was a debt that you owe to God because when you sin, it is an offense against God. Every sin is first and foremost an offense against God himself. So when you sin, there is a debt that you owe God. And Jesus paid our debt with his blood. And so we have been redeemed through Jesus. We have been redeemed from from God's wrath. We have been redeemed from our slavery to sin. And that's that's a blessing that we we have been redeemed. You have, your sin has been paid for. No longer are you separated from God. But you are able to go into... It's almost as if there is a wall of wrathful fire between God and those who are sinners. And Jesus is like this, this fireproof suit that we put on. and We're able to go through the wrath of God's holiness, or you know, this holy fire, and actually go into His presence. If you try to go into the presence of God without Jesus, what happens? Yes, sir. <laughs> you want to read a really fun story sometime? <laughs> Same motion actually. It's your answer for everything, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you want to read a, a story sometime? Um, Leviticus chapter 10, these two guys named Nadab and Abihu, and these guys were nephews of Moses, and they were sons of Aaron, which is Moses' brother. And they were part kind of the high priest. And one day they got a little drunk and they decided they were gonna go to God in their own way, in their own terms. And literally, fire shot out from God's Holy of Holies and turned them into chicken nuggets right there. I mean, just fried <laughs> <by themselves. laughs> it. It just it incinerates. Um, because they were trying to go through the wrath of God's fire by themselves. And that, that doesn't happen. The only way you get into the presence of God is, is by putting your faith in Jesus. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he doesn't see me. What he sees is Jesus. And therefore, the same acceptance that he gives Jesus is the same acceptance that he gives us. That's what it means to be in Christ. So in him, we have re- adoption. In him, we have redemption. Now, what's, can you imagine a scenario or a bit of suffering where our redemption would help that suffering be turned into fruit instead of thorns? Can you you repeat that? So, again, adoption is one of those gospel truths, right? And we we talked about it. We come down the stairs. And if people's approval of you is your God, then you'll react one way. But if you remember that you're adopted, you are a son, you're a daughter of God, that's going to change the way that you react, right? You're going to react more from a fruitful, healthy way instead of a sinful way. How might the fact that you are redeemed, how would that promise be useful to you in suffering? Well know the, there's, there's a lot of time. A reason. Okay, there's a reason. Are you are you talking about eternal suffering or just everyday suffering? Everyday suffering. I think you would stop kicking around saying like thinking that you deserve like the world owes you anything because you know, you owe God the most, and, and, and that's okay. <laughs> right, because if there's some, if there's a moment of suffering, right, and you think that, hey, I'm getting what I deserve today because of what I did two years ago or yesterday or whenever, right, that would produce maybe a depression in you, that would produce maybe just sadness in you, or maybe anger towards God, right, because you know you deserve it, but, man, God, I can't believe you're doing this to me, right? And those are all sinful responses. But if you remember that you've been redeemed and your debt has been paid, then you know that this suffering is not God paying you back, right? And that changes the way you look at suffering. You begin to ask the right questions. God, what do you want me to learn through this? Instead of being angry at God, instead of being depressed, instead of being sad, you begin, well, God, what do you want me to learn from this suffering? I know I've been redeemed, so I know you're not paying me back because I forgot to read my Bible yesterday or because I did this three years ago. You're not paying me back. So what do you want me to learn? So it changes the way you, you would look at something, which is going to produce fruitfulness. It's going to, it could even produce gratefulness for it. It could produce patience. All, some of these things should be fruits of the Spirit that are beginning to hopefully ring a bell. right? But that only happens if you remember that you've been redeemed. All your debt has been paid. All of your sin has already been atoned for by Jesus Christ. You see some other gospel truths in here. Skip down to uh, verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. So what's the gospel truth that you see in these verses? That we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and, and he is the guarantee of our inheritance. You have an inheritance. Right? Why is why is that a blessing to know? What what is I mean, what it's I'm sorry. guaranteed. It's guaranteed, <laughs> right? It, it, and so your inheritance isn't based upon your performance. It's not, hey, if you do this many good things, then I'll give you an inheritance. And that totally changes the way you live, or it should. Because if we think that, okay, I have to do this number of good things with my life in order for God to love me, and in order for God to be pleased with me, then you're going to be obeying God for the wrong reasons. You're going to be obeying God so that he loves you. That's not the truth of the Gospel. The Gospel says that because you love him, you obey him because you want to be like him. Not because he's going to love you more if you obey him, which means that he would also love you less if you disobey him, right? That's not it. Because the reason why he loves you isn't because you are more obedient. The reason why he loves you is because of Jesus. Because it's in him that you have an inheritance. Your inheritance because of your faith in Christ. And the gospel truth that you have an inheritance changes the reason why you obey. It also changes... Maybe your pursuit of of comfort, right? I mean, if, if money is your God, then you're going to act a certain way. You're going to do certain things. Maybe you'll be dishonest. Maybe you'll steal. Maybe you'll manipulate. But if you are satisfied with the fact that you have an inheritance waiting for you, inheritance that is guaranteed, then the way you look at money is actually a little bit different. The way you look at comfort is a little bit different. It's not that, hey, this is the best it's ever going to get, so I just need to make sure that my life is the best it can be right now. I've got an inheritance waiting for me. An inheritance that is guaranteed to me. An inheritance that is given to me by the King of the Universe because I am His Son. So therefore, the way I look at money is different. The way I look at comfort is different. I look at these things, I look at money as something that God has given me to use, not something that I have to be greedy about try to get as much as I can. I have an inheritance that is awaiting me. Yeah? What is the inheritance? What is the inheritance? Yeah, not like the word, but what is it? It's Him. It's himself, right? Yeah. That's cool. He is our inheritance. <laughs> he's, he's, the, he's the greatest treasure that God has to give. <laughs> right? So we experience that now a little bit by being in Him, but we are going to experience that even much more when we are when we're with Him, when we see Him face to face. And that's what's what's awaiting us, is the inheritance of God himself. And that is the greatest treasure you could ever possibly get. That is the most rich treasure you could ever possibly own. Jesus himself. And so you see these gospel truths in this. And and whether or not you believe this, and and I will say that it's not not either 100% or 0%. Right? It's not that you believe this 100% or you believe this 0%. It's, it's not that easy. There's, there's usually a, a spectrum, degrees, of, of believing. And usually we, we go back and forth because of our simple unbelief, right? And so to the extent that you believe in promises like this is the extent to which you will have fruit instead of sin. The extent to which you don't believe gospel promises, instead you believe somebody else's promises is the extent that you will have sinful responses to suffering. So it, it, that's why it's, I mean, if you read the end of Ephesians, you see the idea of the spiritual battle, right? And, and Paul talks to you about, that hey, you've got to put on, here's, here's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible, you've got to be praying, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, right? And it, it talks about this soldier who's gearing up for battle. He's, the, the fight for belief is an everyday fight, because Satan, every day, is fighting for you to not believe his, God's promises. Satan is fighting for you to believe in his promises. That's what he did with Adam and Eve, right? God gave Adam and Eve promises. He said, hey, eat from any tree in the garden. It's going to be great. Just don't eat from this one. We're good. was a promise. If you eat from this, don't die. And Satan came. And Satan is... He's masterful of what he does. Right? What he does is he takes God's promises and he just usually just just twists them just a little bit. And so Satan came and he, he twisted God's promises just a little bit. And Eve and Adam believed Satan's promise rather than God's promise. And the result of that was sin. The result of that was a broken relationship with each other. The result of that was a broken relationship with God. The bro- result of that was a broken relationship even within themselves. They had shame. So the result of sin or the result of Satan believing in his promises is sin, is shame, is division. That's what Satan does. Satan divides. He wants to divide you from God. That's why you see these two contrasts. Satan divides, yet all throughout Ephesians and through the rest of the Bible in Christ, in the unity. He wants you to come together with him. It's in him that we have adoption. It's in him that we have redemption. It's in Him that we have an inheritance. So Jesus is our potential. He is the one through whom we are meant to view all of suffering. And if God can, can create something beautiful out of something as horrible as the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross, then He can take any suffering you and I have. He can cause good things to come from it. We know that because we, we've seen this. We've been promised this. So part of, part of viewing suffering in the right way is to understand that we need to view it through the promises. And we've just, I mean, we haven't even covered half of the chapter. right? That's why it's important that you read your Bibles and you study your Bibles. You know, this isn't just a bunch of, of rules that you're called to pick and, and read and say, okay, what rules been everybody a day? Or what, what stories in here that are going to be like, well, that's a good story. I kind of like that story. These aren't just stories. These aren't just rules. What this entire Bible is, is the promises of God to you. And so we're to read that we're to look for these promises. We're to call each other to remember these promises. That's why it's important that we spend time in our Bibles. Not so that we're familiar with history, even though it is historical. Not so that we know all the rules that we can do and what we shouldn't do so we know the promises of God. So we know the gospel truths. That, I mean, we know that the gospel is, is the good news of what he has done. We know that the gospel is about what Jesus has accomplished, not simply the rules that we should obey. And when we view life through that, when we view suffering through that, first of all, we see the potential of God can do wonderful things with all sorts of suffering. He did it through the cross, we did it. We do it in everything along the way. So not only that, but when it comes to some of the fruits, flip over to Ephesians chapter four. We looked at this a little bit already. So again, Ephesians one through three, you see some of the blessings of the gospel to us. In him you have adoption, in him you have redemption, in him him you have an inheritance. And if you you would keep reading through chapter 2 and through chapter 3, you would see more of these gospel truths. And then beginning in chapter 4, you begin to see some of the fruit. That if you believe, or to the extent that you believe, the truths, the gospel truths in chapters 1, 2, and 3, then here's the the fruit that will come. That's what chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk about. In chapter 4, you see the element of unity of the body of Christ, and that, that, that's part of the fruit of believing in the gospel promises of God. You see in chapter 4, uh, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, from whom the whole body is joined together. So one of the fruits is that you can be honest with one another about sin, if you, to the extent you believe in God's gospel promises. Another fruit, some other fruits that we see, starting in verse twenty-five. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. You see all of these things, and one way that you could read this chapter is: okay, shouldn't steal, shouldn't be angry, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this. Okay, I got all the things I shouldn't do. I'll just try really hard not to do them. That's one way you could read this. But the way we're supposed to read this is by taking all of the gospel truths in chapters one, two, and three, and understanding that to the extent that I believe these truths, is the extent to, that to which the fruit in chapter four is actually going to be there. Flip over to the left in the Book of Galatians. Galatians is another book written by the same guys as Paul, and you see. Much of the same story. This is the way Paul really writes all of his letters. At the beginning of the letters, he, he gives you some of the gospel truth, the gospel promises of God. Then towards the end of the letters, he gives you some of the fruit. He gives you some of what to do. But he, he orders them that way for a very good reason. Right? Because if he just tells us what to do at the front, and we read what to do, and we say, Okay, I have to do, I'm going to try my hardest to do it. But since he gives us the promises up front, we understand that our obedience is meant to be attached to the promises. Right? Our behavior flows out of our hearts. You worship your way into sin. right? The reason why you sin is because you have worshipped other things than God. And so therefore, you need to worship your way out of sin as well. You need to worship the God who has given you these gospel promises. And so at the beginning of Galatians, you can read... You go through and, and there's these gospel promises of who God is and what He has done. But then in Galatians 5 you get to the, the well-known section of where it talks about more of the fruit of the Spirit. And so in chapter 5 of Galatians, starting in verse 19. Man, what you see is that if you are living according to the sinful desires of your heart, you'll see one thing happen. It says, but I say, in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. Again, you see what Paul is saying? Sinful desires of the flesh. You either walk by the Spirit, or you walk by those sinful desires. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So again, two pictures that are contrasting with one another. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not on the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. A lot of thorns there, right? A lot of sinful actions, a lot of sinful behaviors, and all of those grow out of a heart that is wanting the desires of the flesh. Same things that James talked about in chapter 4. Sinful desires. But, in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit... Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no such law. Now that word fruit is is an interesting word. The word fruit is actually a a singular word, not a plural. And what Paul is talking about, it's not nine different fruits. You can say, well, I'll have a little bit of this fruit, I'll have a little bit of that fruit, I'll have a little bit of this fruit. I'm not really good at the kindness thing. That's not what he's talking about. This is one fruit, and it has these nine different ingredients. Because if you think about it, all of us have different personalities. Some of us here are more patient than others just by our personality. Some of us are more kind than others. Some of us are more gentle than others. Some of us are more self-controlled than others just, just by our personality. But the way that you can tell a work of the Holy Spirit is that you are growing in all of these things. So what Paul says is, the fruit of the Spirit is that you are going to increase, you're going to be more fruitful in all of these ways when it stems from a heart that is believing in the gospel promises of God. This is what, this is what that life lives in. So Paul says, live this way, but it's a, it's a living, it's a fruitfulness that comes out of belief in who Jesus is, in what he has done, and what he has promised to do. That's where you get fruitfulness. And what God is doing is he is taking suffering and he is showing you the ways that you don't believe. He's showing you the things that you love more than him. He's showing you the things that you worship more than him. The things like approval, things like power, things like comfort. He's showing you those things and he's, and he's showing you the, the evil, sinful thorns that those sinful desires have led to. And he's showing you those, but at the same time, he's given you Jesus. And through the power of the gospel promises of Jesus, he is taking those sinful desires and he is is reinventing your desires. He is renewing you. He is calling you to believe in him and what he has promised And the Holy Spirit has promised to do that in you. This isn't a question of if. It's just a question of when and how. And the Holy Spirit will cause this to happen in you. He's going to cause this to happen in me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's job is to both exalt Jesus Christ and to prepare us for the wedding that will one day take place. So in that way, the Holy Spirit, if you think of the future wedding that is awaiting us, the wedding between us, the church, the bride, and the bridegroom, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is both the best man and he is the maid of honor. <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit is the best man who is, who is making sure that the groom is, is cared for. The groom and, and all the glory is, is, is being given to the groom. But he's also preparing us, the bride. He's getting us ready. He will do this. And he's using suffering to do this. And that's what God has called us to to be participating in, of calling each other to remember these gospel promises. And that's what your job is as a community. The question is, are you doing it? Are you in each other's lives enough to do that? Are you having more than just kind of the, hey, how you doing, kind of conversations with each other? Are you asking one another, hey, what kind of suffering has there been in your life? Hey, tell tell me about sin. I'm about to have bit later tonight, I had a buddy of mine call me and said, hey, I need to I need to Skype with you tonight. I've got some sin I need to confess to you. And So he and I are going to have a conversation. I don't know what he's going to say, but this kind of process is going to go on. Where he's going to confess whatever sin and he's going to tell me about the behavior, and I'm going to ask him, hey, what's going on in your heart that led to this simple behavior? If he's, I don't know what he's going to say. Let's say he said, hey, I looked at, I've been looking at porn on, on my computer. You could just say, man, you are a horrible Christian. You need to stop doing that right now. <laughs> right? I could say that. But if, is that going to do anything in him other than make him feel bad and guilty? No. And it's only, that's not going to produce any change. It's not going to produce any growth. But if I say, okay, this is what you're doing. Why were you doing that? It goes back to that, what I said before, where the question of why is a tremendously important question. If that's what he says... I say, alright, why, why were you doing that? What was going on in your heart? What were you believing? What were you valuing more than God that led you to that action? And what are, let's talk about some of the promises here in the gospel, the promises that God has given to us. That to the extent that you would believe these, then those desires that led you to look at porn, they would be they would be different. They would be turned differently. And actually, that, that temptation that happened, right, it could be the same temptation. Again, I'm making this all up. this wrong. I don't know. But let's say he saw something on, he was surfing the web, and up pops some advertisement. Right? That's a temptation. That's a, a piece of suffering. What would have to happen, belief-wise, that next time that happens, instead of his sinful desires leading to the action, he would see that temptation. He would be called to belief in God's promises, and instead, he would resist that temptation, which would leave him. Praising God, which would leave him, thanking God for the satisfying relationship that he has with his life. It would leave him thankful in a lot of ways, gracious to, to God in a lot of ways, grateful to God in a lot of ways. That's that's the process that should be happening. And that's the process that you guys are called to do in one another's life. That's what it is being the church. But too often, we just get together, see each other, hey, how you doing? What's been going on? Catch, catch up, go the other way. And we're too uncomfortable talking about sin. We're too uncomfortable talking about suffering. Because we want to hide it. We want to pretend like it's not there. Either that or we make too big a to deal of it. And we go into this, this big pity party. Whoa, oh, is me looking on it. Like, you know, <laughs> right? And you would want people to feel sorry for you. But there's no fruit that comes from either of those things. There's no fruit that comes from making too big of a deal of it, there's no fruit that comes in just minimizing it and trying to get rid of it. But there is fruit that comes when suffering happens, and the gospel, promises of God are what you believe in. And the fruit that we see here in Galatians 5, the fruit that we see in Ephesians, the fruit that you see all throughout Scripture, is what happens over and over and over again. Because of who Jesus is, because of His Spirit, because of the strength of his Spirit. That's what He's promised to happen. Let's pray. Father, thanks that even though we are sin filled people that are too easily tempted to love other things, that you patiently continue to love us. That you, you don't give up on us. Father, you. You never quit, but you constantly show us your majesty and your splendor and your holiness. Father, we confess to you our lack of awe. Confess to you that we fail to think of you with reverence and with holy fear. Instead, we spend so much time focused on our own desires and our own sinful wants. Father God, I pray that you, through your Spirit, would grow our our joy and our adoption and our redemption and in our inheritance and in all the blessings that you have given us in Jesus. Father, would there be no greater joy? Would there be no greater treasure that we have? And would you use suffering to show us ways that that isn't true? And would you graciously through your spirit grow our belief in your promises? That the fruitfulness that we see in your word would be seen in our lives and people would look at that and they would praise you. They would be in awe of you who can take a bunch of people like us and do something good. Do something fruitful.